Welcome to the Build My Online Store podcast, where we discuss everything and anything about running an online store. If you like the podcast, sign up for the mailing list to get news and updates at buildmyonlinestore.com. And now, here's your host, Terry Lynn. Welcome to episode 68 of the Build My Online Store podcast. I'm your host, Terry, and this week my guest is Jack Zerby, founder and designer at Flavors.me and Goodsy. And so Goodsy is an e-commerce platform where you can build an online store with real-time design that allows you to really just do it via drag and drop, and you can create something uh, pretty awesome. And so in this episode, we're going to talk about design elements of an online store, uh, working with your store copy, kind of your headlines, and how it integrates with your design for a better shopping experience to your customers. And we'll also talk about the future of mobile shopping and kind of some evolutions uh, with looking on a website on a tablet or an iPhone uh, which is called responsive design and before we get into it we got a couple new reviews for the show the first one comes from Kali over in Canada he says I listen to every episode of this podcast I found it to be an awesome resource for learning how to create my own e-commerce business uh, Terry does a great job drawing out the valuable insights from his guests and does so in a very casual manner keep up the great work well sweet and we also got one from uh, Alan Senti uh, he says I love your show because of your podcast I heard I started my own e-commerce store myeroticescape.com so uh, I guess it's something to do with uh, sex toys so uh, congratulations and he says I found your podcast I was able to successfully get my website up and running I've learned so much and I've used many resources in your episodes and I've also started an e-commerce meetup in Orlando, Florida to meet other like-minded store owners so it's pretty cool that you're reaching out by meeting more store owners and so keep up the excellent work and congratulations on quitting your job well thank you very much and one more thing before we get into this week's episode if you're an online store owner you're in the e-commerce business and you're confused about SEO, maybe you just started, go ahead to buildmyonlinestore.com slash SEO. Check out the six-module course that I have that'll teach you everything about keywords, rankings, uh, on-site SEO, things like tagging your image and your products correctly, uh, finding links, creating content for your site, and really just a big branding uh, exercise on how to improve your sales, your visibility, your credibility, and your profitability for your online store. So it's open for early bird pre-enrollment now. It'll be out on November 7th. Go ahead to buildmyonlinestore.com slash SEO. Check it out. It'll teach you everything you need to know when you're just getting started with your online store in the SEO field. And if you don't find this helpful, just let me know and I'll give you your money back with no questions asked. So with that being said, let's get into this week's episode. Welcome to the show, Jack. Uh, real quick, who are you and what do you do? Well, my name is Jack Zerby and I am the co-founder of Goodsy.com. And so uh, what is Goodsy for people who aren't familiar with it? Goodsy allows anyone to create their own um, branded storefront online. I guess my next question would be, you know, how is this different than kind of the platforms out there on the market? Because we, we were talking about earlier before the call how, you know, kind of Shopify, Big Commerce, Illusion, Yahoo Stores, Magentos, all these platforms out there. You know, what kind of makes you guys different and stand out from those guys? Uh, I think for us, it is the fact that we empower the store owners with their with tools um, so that they can build their, the store themselves without paying thousands of dollars for a developer. A lot of the other platforms, almost all of them, are usually built by developers and require developers to update them. So the second that a store owner wants to make a change, they have to jump into the code. So there's like this, if you look at it like a cliff that you can get to a certain level of customization and then you fall off the cliff of needing code or needing a developer. I see. So you're talking about like terms of like moving different things in the back end, like your whole layout, things like that, yes. right? Yeah, we're very design. We're very design focused, and kind of yeah, giving the store owner those tools to to manage the the look and feel of the store. Yeah, and so I watched the video you sent me earlier. I it's it's literally like a drag and drop design for your whole store, which just kind of surprised me when I first saw it. Yeah, we the original version of Goodsy, call it version one, got you to about maybe 60% customized, uh, customizable. Um, so if you look at it in terms of 100% would give you just totally ac total access to the code or the CSS. We wanted to get to about 95% customizable. So using the, the interface tools that we've given you, uh, you can certainly start out with a, with a theme that we offer, and then you could really just strip that theme down to nothing if you wanted to, and then rebuild it back up. Yeah, and I think just to share the details in the video, like it was like a blank page, and then this guy just like saying like, hey, I want a menu, 
on the top here and I want a sidebar here and then you were just clicking and dragging and then he like dragged the pictures of the products and, and like that was it I was, I was surprised how easy it was what we wanted to do is take a look at like some of the best looking stores out there so Warby Parker was one of our favorite looking stores and so my partner Jonathan's like why don't you just make a video of you recreating the look of that store, right? So that's, you know, it's easy to go and create some very minimalistic template or whatever, but we're like, what if we could build something that's that's really beautiful, like a, like a Warby Parker? I think most platforms out there now, it's like, you know, they come with a theme, like, you know, the navigation bars here and the sidebars here, you can't really change it. You can add stuff there, but in terms of like dragging the whole size of it and reshaping it, like you can't really do that, right? But it looks like on Goodsy, you guys can totally do that. Yeah, and we've been in this space kind of website builder space for about five years, our earlier product, uh, Flavors.me. We're very surprised in the beginning, say in 2008 when we launched Flavors, to give the users these design tools, we weren't sure what they would do with them. As the site started rolling in and we started getting uh, people sending us their sites, saying, hey, look what we created. It was amazing what they actually did with it. So I think the designer in me underestimated people's desire to kind of have their own unique presence. And I think that started ultimately with MySpace, except MySpace uh, kind of just opened it way up. So we wanted to make sure that I feel like even as designers, we work best under constraints. So you look at it kind of like in, in, a, in bumper bowling, if you've ever did that as a kid. It's like you can't get a strike. But we want to keep you, you know, keep you within these lines to where you can't totally screw it up. But I think as we've learned, I tend to want to have this like totalitarian kind of control over the design. And, and I found that most people um, really put a lot of time and love into the design. So it's pretty awesome. Yeah. When you mentioned MySpace, I knew, you know, they were done when they had these like repeating GIF backgrounds with music that would play as soon as you get there. <laughs> I was like, oh, my God, guys, it's not like 1990, right? <laughs> yeah. And they would. I remember my friends would be uh, customizing CSS. They had no idea what CSS was, but they would spend hours just to turn the background red. They'd be like, I, I finally looked up this like cheat code, <laughs> like video games. And they're like, I finally learned how to turn my background red. And I thought, wow, if they're going through all that trouble just to turn the background red, why couldn't we develop some sort of interface to do that? Yeah. It's interesting that you mentioned video games. I think that was kind of where the early like third-party hacker, I'll add my own customizations came in, right? Like, yeah, these kind of first-person shooters, people were adding their own graphics to like, you know, what happens when someone gets shot or like, you know, what happens in this game? And then they had different like animations for that too, where kind of now it's very common to customize anything you want now online, or at least the consumer is very aware that, hey, they can do this and there's a demand for this too. Yeah, and there's even more of a demand so in a consumer space, if we give you the ability to create your own personal profile, if, if there's if someone else has the kind of the same looking profile that you do or it's close, it's not that big of a deal, right? We're just talking about your personal site. But when you're talking about a, a business that's concerned about their brand, and that's where I think the whole theme approach kind of falls down, is that if you want to stand out and have a unique brand, if, if you, if, let's say that you run a, a site like Goodsy or you're running a company like Goodsy and you have a hundred themes, right? Well, if you have, you know, 20,000 stores is a good chance. A lot of stores are going to have the same theme. So that, that is important in that case to not have the same look and feel as something else because that can affect, ultimately affect your brand. Yeah. I think going deeper into that is that when you look at all the WordPress sites out there, like, you know, mm -hmm. it's a, you know, it's a WordPress site. As soon as you land on it, you're like, oh, this layout just looks very WordPress-y. Like the sidebar and the navigation bar, like you just know this feeling. <laughs> like it's a WordPress site. And yeah. So if the only thing that's holding you back is just a, just paying for it, but like we want to give you tools that you really you can take that theme if you pay for it or we give it to you for free, but then be able to just rip it apart as you as you want. Awesome. All right. And so we're going to go into some kind of design elements later, kind of some design philosophy. So you know, before we get there, uh, kind of what are the main customers uh, or industries that are on Goodsy right now selling stuff on the online store? We have uh, a lot of interesting store owners. Um, there's a lot of fashion. Elizabeth Cott has a store called Closet Rich that's done really well. I mean, she started just literally just selling clothes that she had in her closet. Her store has grown leaps and bounds. So we've been um, helping her grow kind of her presence online. And we have a lot of jewelry, uh, food we have from beef jerky to, to chocolates and to all kind of uh, amazing baked goods and things like that. And then some really unique items like boom case. I don't know if you ever heard of boom case, but <laughs> it's amazing. They take these suitcases, like these old suitcases and, and make 
like literal boom boxes out of them. So it's like a suitcase with like a giant speaker um, kind of in the suitcase. If you just Google boom case, you can see what I mean. Really amazing, one of a kind. They've been in in Uncrate and Lifehacker and things like that. So they've they have a really unique product. Huh, very cool. So if you had to break it down by like percentage, would you say like you know fifty percent are fashion, or what would that look like if we go that route? Uh, percentage, yeah, I would say the large amount is is fashion, but then also I think we tend to attract a lot of the Etsy crowd, so it's a lot of um, kind of handmade original original goods. But it's really hard to categorize them because um, they're from all over the place. I see. So the Etsy guys are they want to get off the platform there and migrate onto something that's under their control, I guess, right? Yeah. So an, an Etsy. So if you're if you're an Etsy store owner, you have to 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 weigh it and say, okay, do I want to build my brand um, under the Etsy umbrella, or do I want to build my own brand? And yeah, I'll get the traffic from the marketplace, but at the sacrifice of my brand, right? So when uh, you know we've talked to a ton of Etsy sellers, and they'll say, well, you know, it's 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 really great because I'll get a lot of business from Etsy, but then they'll send out a newsletter and have my competitors side by side, right? So now it's me sandwiched in between two competitors and now they're kind of marketing my competitors. So ultimately, Etsy's business is the percentage of the sale in the marketplace. So they're not really, con- you know, for them it's about marketing, uh, you know, marketing the entire marketplace as a whole um, than the individual sellers. Because yeah, it doesn't really matter who sells as long as someone sells, right? So Exactly, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, interesting. All right, and so I noticed a lot of stores on Goodsy kind of have this uh, minimalist feel. So is that like kind of by their design or is this kind of like a trend you're seeing uh, in the whole space now? Well, I think, um, so Goodsy has been designed, Goodsy as a company and as a culture has always been design-led. Um, I think initially that came from from me, and I th- Jonathan also is a brilliant designer who can't actually design, but he has now been able to build themes with Goodsy that look pretty amazing. So I'm pretty, it's pretty awesome to see that. Um, so he has a great design eye, and so for me, that minimalist feel came from when I first got out of school. I worked for a design firm called Pentagram for three years, and it was like design boot camp, and so they don't pay you a whole lot, but you get to work beside like world famous designers like Michael Beirut and Paula Cher. And you just, as soon as you get in there, you feel like a terrible designer. <laughs> and these guys, these guys are like Donald Trump, Mark Cuban of designer. Like, cause I have no, yeah. I have no idea who these guys are. <laughs> these like Paula Cher, like she did the city, Citibank logo, like on a napkin in the back of a cab. And like Michael Beirut has done the identities for Saks Fifth Avenue. And just like, just, so many and then Armin Vitt was there for a while and you're just looking around you're like these these are the top people in the design field and so you really learn a lot at Pentagram it there is a sort of aesthetic at Pentagram that is very minimal very and the term flat has always been hilarious to me because I don't think if you said flat at Pentagram they even know what you were talking about because um, you wouldn't I would never put a drop shadow or a bevel or an emboss on anything in pentagram. You'd get punched in the face like instantly. Um, so that's kind of where a lot of my style was born, which is just like this broken down minimalist style. And so I think that initially came in Goodsy from a lot of the templates that we had that were a lot of, we would look around at a lot of e-commerce sites and they were just so, so crowded and, and, and noisy and just everything thrown at the screen. Um, and so what we really wanted to do is a step, step way back from that. And just for us, we're always asking ourselves, like, what is absolutely necessary on this page? Um, we, we, that's how we approach a lot of our UI and stuff like that. Is this for pure decoration or does this have, in the case of a store owner, does this help the customer better understand my product or is this just pure decoration for me either to A, impress other designers or B, just, I just felt like putting it there. Um, if there's not a specific reason why you're doing it, then you should really question why you're doing it in the first place. Gotcha, gotcha. And so you mentioned drop shadow. I just have to go into this stuff. So like when I see a logo with drop shadow, it just feels very noob, right? Is that why everyone hates it or? <laughs> oh man. I mean, this is like an age. It's, it's coming back and I'm so glad that this style is coming back because as a designer, 
as you get older, you kind of, you figure out your voice, right? Your voice and your style and, and you, you're you very comfortable in that. And so when design starts changing, like the, the community starts changing and heading in one direction, sometimes you feel like, wow, should I, man, should I just start going in that direction? Should I make everything look like a bubblegum wrapper? Like, should I make every, like, a lot of this stuff got to the point where it's like, wow, I'm going to have to know a 3D program to even, you know, create anything that looks fresh now. And it just, for me, um, I kind of just held, t- held strong to that and said, look, you know, I came from a traditional graphic design background and this is where the, this is kind of the directions that a lot of the, the, the legends like Massimo Vignelli, like that guy, they're timeless. The design is timeless. And so I think, yeah, when you see the drop shadow on it, uh, sometimes you feel like, wow, it's kind of like architecture, right? You'll see something like, wow, that's such a 70s building. But you'd never look at like something on the Upper West Side of New York and see the beautiful stone and say, wow, that looks so 1920s. Like it just... They're just beautiful and they always look beautiful. You were saying how things are getting very crowded and now you kind of have like this minimalist thing. Like you kind of see this everywhere where I think like the signal to noise ratio is very loud just in the world we live in now. And there's this whole movement where, hey, I just want to keep things simple and I don't want to watch TV and do anything I don't need. Right. So like, is that a trend you see going on or is it just like, kind of like a temporary thing in your view? We are very thankful for Apple. Right. Apple kind of solidified that approach. I define design as communication. So if, if anything gets in the way of communicating that particular message. So I think sometimes designers are, will get aesthetics mixed up with design because it's the way that something looks. Something can look very beautiful and, be, and, and not communicate the message at all or be completely unusable. And, you know, as the case of the, the age-old argument of Craigslist, it looks completely ugly, but it's very functional and very useful. So there's always that kind of back and forth. So you have to watch it. It doesn't get in the way of communicating the message. Yeah, like for me, where I'm a non-designer, like it seems very subjective slash philosophical slash like utility. Mm-hmm. Right? There's like a mix somewhere in between where you have to hit. But like I can't put my finger on it, but like there's no right or wrong way to really say it, right? I mean, well, I guess there's a wrong way, but you know, like I can't put my finger on it. <laughs> Even when you study, say like the direct marketers, right? So if you go way back to like the Gary Hoberts of the world, like he didn't care about the design. He was all about the message and that message got across, right? And so at the end of the day, was that was that a successful business? I would say, right? His He was, that's the reason why he was paid so much by his clients is because he was able to get the message through. But yeah, he did have, there were certain principles that like he would actually make it, look ugly but like on principle like on purpose um and for a specific reason he wasn't just being ironic yeah it's like you look at the long form sales letter that's just on a piece mm-hmm. of paper on a typewriter font versus like a super bowl ad right which is you know they're both trying to deliver a message where you know you buy my product but i guess the design and the philosophical way they're bringing it over is so different too so but yeah but let's just to tie this into the e-commerce space so because i know you know, different stores with all these different designs, like how should someone approach, you know, this design element of their online store? Like where do you even start if you don't have a design background? If you can focus on A, like who is your market, right? So if your market isn't a very, like a super sophisticated market, it, it should portray that in the design. So look at who your market is and then try to communicate that into design. If your market is designers, then yeah, it better look good. But if your market... I mean, I don't want to say it's it's kind of tough to pinpoint a certain industry that, that wouldn't like design. I don't even want to say it. Right. So if, if you could, because <laughs> I'm thinking like uh, real estate people, I have friends in real estate who love design. Right. I don't want to say that, but it should be tailored to your market. Now, we offer right now we're at 10 themes. These are just in the new system for people who aren't as design savvy. They can start with these themes and then modify as they as they like. And so for someone who's not as design savvy, Uh, One thing that we're going to be rolling out soon is a bringing on, say, three or four designers that specialize nothing but goodsy themes, right? Someone who may need design help um, can pay to have a couple hours of design come in. They know the system inside and out, so they're able to get the most out of the design system. The cool thing is, is once they kind of get it set up for them, the tool allows them to add content as they wish down the road. So they don't have to just keep bringing in a designer or a developer every time they want to add something new. They can just add it themselves. Mm-hmm. I see. And so I guess, you know, you go back 
to the kind of you know knowing who your market is are you kind of saying like hey you know if i'm selling to say people in their 50s or 60s like yeah like my typography should be better bigger or you know like my photo should be bigger my you know copy should be simpler stuff like that whereas say if you're selling like 20 year olds it's, it could be a lot different right yeah and i think even if you look at like and i've i've studied a lot about conversions and and you know a lot of these uh, a lot of the info marketers too I, there was this one case study where I think it was a guy, it was a, a guy and he was selling to that kind of 50 and over audience. So let's say it was about wills or let's say it was about life insurance. He had like an original ad that was kind of that cheesy kind of, you know, everybody knows it if they saw it, opt-in email landing page. And as a designer, the designer in me goes, oh man, that's terrible, right? But so he had a designer go in and redesign the whole thing. And so I look at it and I say, wow, that's gorgeous, right? It's just perfectly designed. And so it actually converted way worse when he released that better, <laughs> better looking design. So I think, and we were talking earlier that as I've matured as a designer and learned more about marketing, I'm less inclined to believe that the best design thing always converts better and always relates to a more successful business. That is not the case. And I think you kind of, as a designer, need to get your ego out of the way and say, really, what is best for the business, right? So I can design so I can design a business right into the ground if I wanted to. At the end of the day, all my designer friends would pat me on the back and, you know, I'd be in the unemployment line, right? So that's at the end of the day, that's what happens. You know, you can let your ego get in the way and, and it doesn't lead to business results. It's kind of like the sushi chef who's in LA and has to make California roll instead of real sushi, right? Like you have to, <laughs> you yeah. have to like downgrade your work into this thing that people want or that they need, right? But it's not true to your craft. So how do you... How yeah, it's like Jimmy Buffett playing Margaritaville. <laughs> like he doesn't want to play yeah. that <laughs> yeah, or, or it's like going karaoke and singing like Yellow Submarine, right? <laughs> With the Winter Friends. So. Yes, yes. One thing I want to get your input on is that kind of like the e-commerce store 10 years ago, you know, it's very simple, just like these bunch of texts, like, you know, pictures everywhere, products everywhere. And I've seen it's really gone simplified. Right? So how has the design uh, elements of that side changed over the years, just strictly in the e-commerce space? Honestly, I don't think it has changed that much. So we're talking about Warby Parker, before a lot of these in like Dollar Shave Club and a lot of these new kind of e-commerce cutting out the middleman businesses, right? So Dollar Shave Club believes that that razors are too expensive and I agree that they are. So they're taking that approach and same with Warby Parker. I got, a, you know, these glasses that I have Warby Parker glasses for $95. And when I would go to look at glasses before, they'd be $500, right? So there's these new, this new generation of e-commerce and they, they're really they're really taking design seriously they're really taking the experience seriously with Warby Parker I was able to do like a like a it was a very customized e-commerce store right the whole experience was it was not like go to your shopping cart right it was 3d virtual try-ons and like all kind of different ways to view the the glasses different angles and different colors um, so I think from a design standpoint, they're not just taking the standard kind of go there, add to cart, check out, get a receipt, right? So I think a lot of them are extremely focused on the experience. And when you're done, you're just, it's just a really satisfying feeling um, that you kind of went through that, that whole experience. And now you're, you know, you're super excited. And then down to when they actually deliver it, right? It doesn't come in some beat up UPS box. <laughs> like there's this almost like Apple-esque unboxing experience. Um, my wife uh, subscribes to Birchbox. So when she gets that, that pink box, she is so excited and she opens it and it's just beautifully arranged. Uh, so I think that whole experience um, is amazing. Yeah. So what is a birch box? Does it come in like a UPS box and there's another box inside or is it just pink on the outside too? Or? It it's pink on the outside. Um, I don't know what that does to theft because everybody can see it, right? Yeah. I, if I had, <laughs> if I had an Apple product shipped to me, I would want it in a brown, crappy UPS box. There is this experience in the offline world that I think design-wise also uh, needs to be considered as well, like how you deliver it and how what's the experience like when you open it. Yeah, because if you think about it, it ties into the whole conversion thing too, where if you can deliver a good experience with design kind of as a channel, you get a better conversion rate probably too, right? Yeah. And I was led through like, 
the so when I first when I, when I was going to buy the glasses, they had this like I don't know ten day trial or seven day trial where I could order like five different pairs of glasses and have them shipped to me, and they weren't just when I got the box, it wasn't just like they were all just sitting in there. Like there was this 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 postcard that said exactly what I need to do. And then they said a follow-up email in like two or three days, like how are the glasses handling? So that whole customer experience is, is new. Um, and I think Amazon is get you know, Amazon is the master of a lot of that stuff. I mean, getting a text message as soon as it's delivered, all that stuff, I think it all goes back to the whole, the whole experience. Yeah. And it's interesting that it really puts design onto a ground level instead of this huge, like woohoo philosophical conceptual thing too right so <laughs> yeah like what what's the feeling that that person if it communicates that if you're trying to com- communicate a message but also communicate an emotion and a feeling um there's nothing like that kind of getting the package in the mail like that's the most exciting thing in the world like even though we get all this email every day it still feels really good to get something physical in the mail and if you take a lot of time in the design you you'll get a really good feeling from the customer yeah which makes it tie into one aspect of the whole brand too even a yeah. bigger picture too. So you know, one thing like I've been studying design. Like, there's one thing they always talk about is like the golden ratio. Like, what what's this? Or like, I know there's like typography spacing. Like, you know, what are these things? Can you just go over them real quick? Because it's kind of getting confusing when I've been studying this too. So ah uh, yes, it's the number one point six one eight. That is the number. And it's funny you mentioned that because I'm actually. Um, doing my second Skillshare class called Design for People Who Don't Call Themselves Designers. Um, And I go into this whole golden ratio, golden section. And so if you take a square and you multiply it by uh, 1.618, then uh, you get what's called the golden rectangle. And then you can see that the, the space in between the golden rectangle and the initial square that you had, that's like kind of a perfect golden ratio column and you can keep creating these squares inside of these things that go on for infinity right so you can now put another square in the column that you just created next to the original square and then you can do the same thing and just keep going down that line but that 1.618 number is really magical like it's really amazing and and the thing that i that i like about not just that but i'm i tend to be a very mathematical designer so i like to Think of designs, uh, design systems, and I think that's something also that you know either wants to get into design or kind of trying to think like a designer. If you can think in terms of design systems, so that you build, you know, you could look at it in terms of maybe like a uh, a style guide, right? So this is my header style, right? Or this is my secondary header, or this is how the images look, or this is how a two column with a header and a a body of text. So if you look at it in terms of these like movable blocks that can be moved into different different ways, the design becomes a lot more flexible. Uh, If you're designing and other people are uh, are building with you, say a developer, that that developer can now build things without you. And I think that was one thing important for me is to set up these systems that people can design without you. So definitely okay to get real math nerdy with design because it, it, it helps um, create a lot of consistency and consistency is key as, as far as you, you know, moving through the experience of the design of the website. Yeah, like when I was studying this golden ratio stuff, there's like, I think like Leonardo DiCaprio is like the guy with his arm and legs spread out like a like the star. Like apparently that's in the ratio. Like apparently there's all this stuff in the world. I think like a butterfly's wings or apparently all this stuff designed by this, but you just don't notice it. Yeah, the, like the Pantheon in Rome um, is that if you look at uh, shells, like seashells, have it in like the Mona Lisa. It's really, some people would call it like this kind of God number or something, right? Like it's this number that nobody can explain. Like it's just, it's like pi, right? It's this, it's this really amazing number. And I think the other thing that I've used a lot uh, are grids, right? So um, when I was starting out in design, I didn't really use grids, uh, but now grids, you don't necessarily have to use a grid, but grid can help you create that, that consistency. And so I used to, I use a 12 column grid just because it, it's the lowest amount of columns. It gives me the most amount of equally divisible columns. So you can divide 12 into two, four, three, six. And so you can have, you know, two columns, you can have, uh, three columns of four. It's like, you know, just gives you a lot of possibilities. Um, so a 12 column is, is good. 
But yeah, typography is the same way. You can use the golden ratio. There's a, a really cool tool if you type in golden ratio typography uh, calculator. It can give you, based on the width of the, the text column, it can give you like the, the proper line height, um, so the space between the lines, so it's, it's very readable. So that's a good way to get started there too. So you're saying like, say I'm using you know, comic man's as fun, right? Just for fun. And then I have like 50 words in a co- in a line, you know, what should the header one be and what should the header two be and what should a regular font be? That's what we're talking about, right? Yeah. And it can give you that proper scale too. So, um, a lot of what I use in, in Goodsy. So if I start at like a base font size of 12, then the next level up would be 14 pixels and then 18, 21, 24, 36, 48, the whole way up to like 117. That's all based on a golden ratio. Um, so you can take a font size and multiply it by 1.618 and you can kind of get the next font size up so that you, or the visual hierarchy of the page kind of uh, fits well, right? So the, the headers aren't too close in size. Um, so it can create a, a, a much stronger visual hierarchy. So you're talking about like in Microsoft Word, how there's like 14, 18, 24, 36. That's by the ratio already? Yeah, I don't know if they've, if they've specifically done it that way, but uh, maybe they have actually, because that would that helps create that kind of visual hierarchy. You would never make, you had a header one at 24, you would never make like the secondary header 22, right? Because there's just not much visual difference between the two. So it's hard to find that consistency as to, if you look at it like an outline, what's the top most... Uh, part of the outline and what's the secondary. Ah, oh, interesting. Yeah. See, these are the, but then you'll know when it looks off to the eye, but if you try to pinpoint it, it's very hard unless you had a design background too, right? So. Yeah. And I think if you, if you can, if you can look to things like that, the golden ratio typography and that sort of thing, it just gives you a framework and that's really all it is. And if you stick to that framework, um, it just gives you, it just gives you a good place to start and then you can adjust it as you want, but it gives you a good place to start. Yeah. Like I know it even ties into photography, right? Like I think like the rule of thirds kind of falls into mm-hmm. this somehow. And then, you know, like when you shoot a video, you shouldn't put yourself in the middle. You should put yourself like on the third, like somewhere in the axis there. And uh, it's kind of interesting because when you do it, it does look better somehow and you just, you just can't explain it. But yeah, I don't know. It's kind of like seeing the matrix sometimes you're like, oh, okay, wow, that's, that's why, right? You didn't see it at first. Um, and as you get better and you're, you're able to start seeing things differently, I think that's the way that I now see kind of marketing and copywriting. I used to just look at it and be like, oh, copy is just something I just put in my design with lorem ipsum text and that's it. But now uh, I, I tend to start with copy first before I touch the design because if the copy's off, then the whole design is, is doesn't mean anything anyway. So so let's go into deeper about that because I think there was a thread I saw in the DC related to this too, where like lorem ipsum is a standard, you know, generic text in WordPress. So wh- why do you say copy is more important first than your design? The, and this can be debated too. Everybody goes back and forth on this. I think it's whatever works for you personally, right? If you if you're much better at kind of thinking of the design as the whole and then going into the copy, that's fine. I guess my point is don't underestimate either of them. Don't, as a designer, think copy doesn't matter because I'm going to make it look beautiful and then I'll talk to the copywriter later and they'll fill it all in. And it better be the right line length or else I'm going to say, well, you need to cut some words out, right? I've done that so many times where you design like some beautiful landing page and then we come up with like a killer headline and it's like it wraps down to the second line. You're like, oh, let's cut out a word. It's like the old Jack would have done that. The new Jack goes, no, we're going to make it fit, right? So if we have a, a really tight headline, um, something that really speaks to the value and what we do and just communicates it really well. And, you know, in the old school copywriting thing, they're going to lead you down that slippery slope from the headline to the subheadline, the whole way down the page, just like the sales letters. Um, don't sacrifice that just to make it fit, right? Like you ha- there has to be a compromise between the two. So, and, and the guys from 37 Signals, J- Jason Fried has talked about this a lot too, where they start with copy. For me personally, I, I want to get much better at copy. It's something that I've, I've gotten into in the last year or so. And so I already, you know, I'm very, already very comfortable with the design. So I'd rather start with copy just so I can get out of my comfort zone. So I think that leads back to the whole kind of e-commerce and, and, and design discussion as well. It's that you can have a beautiful looking e-commerce store with terrible copy. And so I think you really have to, to focus on both of those. Like, like you don't want a product name 
that's like six words, but then the last word is on a separate line by itself. Right? It just looks super yes. ugly. And <laughs> <laughs> so you gotta like just you've gotta kind of massage that until it works. But don't sacrifice the copy. I used to do that all the time. And if if it's not communicating, like, like I said before, if it like now inhibits the the message that you're communicating, then something's wrong. I, I think the analogy would be like you know before you build a house, have a blueprint rather than building a house and then fixing you know the room here and room there as you're building it. Right? Yeah, like you think of like the most famous headlines like you know like the Domino's one like we'll deliver your pizza in 30 minutes or less or, or your pizza's free or whatever think of like a designer got a hold of that and was like well that doesn't fit on the pizza box so let's take out the 30 minutes or less thing and just be like hot fresh pizza to your door or it's free it's like okay now you've completely destroyed that message right so I think you've got to really take that into consideration awesome all right very cool so let's kind of deviate to a different topic a little bit so I want to go a little bit about mobile optimized sites so uh, I understand the technology now is generally responsive HTML5, right? Yeah. So when we started building these kind of site building tools um, in 2008, responsive really wasn't at all in the discussion. There's a couple different things to consider. Um, one, if I were just building an e-commerce store from scratch, yes, it, you know, it would be responsive. And I can go into a little bit more detail about like where responsive I've feel is heading and, and why even maybe calling it mobile is kind of uh, not accurate anymore. So for us, we looked at some of the biggest retailers. Um, so if, if, if a goodsy store were to grow at some point at a goodsy store, like we're not going to ha- handle the enterprise level store, right? You're not going to build an Amazon on goodsy. That's not our market. But if you get to that small to medium sized business and, and they want an experience um, like some of the bigger, the bigger players in the space, a lot of them have separate mobile experiences, right? And this is an age-old argument too, right? So there's been back and forth on this forever. Do you take a site that you have and then as you shrink the browser, it shrinks the viewport that it just kind of looks great, but then you get into like, well, now you have giant images that are now squished into your your mobile phone. And, and there's so much to consider when you consider uh, responsive responsive is not just making it look good on your phone there's a whole lot that happened that has to happen in the background just because you hide something on a phone doesn't mean it's not loaded in the background so if you get this big beautiful wordpress theme and on your desktop it looks amazing and then you shrink it down it looks great on your phone but then you're, you're out somewhere and you pull up your store and you have 3G service and it's taking like 10 years to download. Well, that's because there's a, it's downloading the entire desktop experience and then putting it onto your phone. So, so just to explain it more, I'm understanding this. So responsive is basically taking, say, your Goodsy store and then it's resizing it to your phone. It's not actually giving a separate experience where it was designed for the screen on like an iPhone or like an HTC phone, right? So we went back and forth on that approach. The version that we have now, you can totally customize your mobile experience and your desktop experience totally separate. So we kind of, we looked at that as context. So I think you have to consider the context um, that your customers are in. So we have a separate tab for Facebook, right? So you can design um, your entire store in Facebook separate from your mobile site, which is separate from your desktop site. Because what would happen is in the initial version, if we were to kind of make your site look good in desktop and then look good on mobile, we would have to interpret things. And so when you start mixing customization with interpretation, everything is is much, much harder because now we have to say, okay, well, your desktop version has two columns of when it's on mobile, it has one column, right? Well, that's easy to say, but then as someone customizes their store a lot, we don't know exactly how to interpret it on mobile. To make the experience a lot better for the user, we just created kind of two separate, like it can be two separate sites, right? They both use the same shopping cart and that sort of thing. Now, that approach isn't perfect either. And I think that's why in the next sort of the iteration of this, the, the Goodsy tool, then in the desktop version, you'll be able to, to shrink the browser and design for each kind of um, each size. I'm going back and forth on that as well. And this is where I want to get into the discussion because I had a, a, a really interesting Skype discussion with a, a, a really fantastic designer who used to work at Apple. And so he was kind of in that world, right? Because I think Apple led a lot of that movement of kind of this whole desktop experience on a phone. Right now, what is mobile, right? Like, is mobile defined by a screen size? Like, 
is mobile defined by the fact that you can use the phone, right? Like, well, then that eliminates the iPod touch, right? There's no phone functionality, you know, on an iPod touch. So what do you call an iPod touch? Like music player, right? So like, here's your music player approach or here's your Xbox approach, right? And so I think as designers, things are going to get really challenging because now it's really not even about context anymore. It's not even about mobile versus desktop. That's where we are right now. And that's why I think the system that we had to design has to go kind of fit around those those terms because they're the most easily understood. But I think it really comes down to screen size. Think about when your refrigerator has a LED display, right? And now you can pull up recipes.com on your refrigerator. Now, what is that called? Yeah, I mean, it's not, I mean, do you call it mobile? Or do you call it like, what do you even call it? Like appliance or like? <laughs> <laughs> I think it just becomes the, just the names that we've we've made for them because they're, they kind of fit into the social. It's, it's easy to explain to people, right? But if I said a 1024 by 768 to my mom, she would not have any idea. But if I said, oh, that's a mobile phone store, she would know what I was talking about. So I think it's really just about the resolution now. I mean, if you think about uh, someone who design, someone who has to export video for television or for broadcast, think about the different types of TVs that are out there, right? Like from the very beginning, video had to be designed to fit in really any experience. And that's why you got some TVs would have the black bars on the right or letterboxed. And so I think as, uh, as designers going forward, it's really just about screen size. That's it. There is no, there's no name for it. Yeah, because there's also different experiences on each device too, right? Like your refrigerator's experience on a touchscreen versus a yes. iPod touch, right? I mean, and then that, that, that's a whole nother discussion. Like, I, I don't even know how to get into that. <laughs> yeah, because we had talked about that too. The, the Gitambo was his name um, from, he used to work at Apple. And we'd say, I think it depends on the context. So is it, yeah, is it a touchscreen? So how do you interact with it? Even where that person is, right? Like if they're sitting at their desk or they're sitting, you know, in a shopping line, right? Like needing to get something really fast, right? The other day I was installing a bike rack on the back of our car and so I'm pulling up YouTube videos and going to the, e the store where I bought it, right? The e-commerce store where I bought it. All I wanted was installation videos. And so I click on it and it's like, hi, welcome to blah, blah, blah. I'm like, oh my gosh, like I seriously don't need any of this right now. I just need the video and what to do. <laughs> and they had this beautiful intro with music and hi, my name is this and that. And I'm like, this is ridiculous. And it's like, I just want to close it. And that was not a good experience because um, it didn't really take into the context uh, of what I was actually trying to do. Yeah, but someone else that lands on the site who wants to figure out who they are might love it too, right? Which is a different context. So. Yeah, if I was thinking of buying a bike rack or like I was thinking if I was going to install it the next day, like, yeah, okay, I want to see, you know, I want to get the whole experience. Yeah, 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 you're right. I mean, it makes it interesting now how you, you they say like what Apple's going to make an ITV. I mean, what's that experience going to be like? And how is it going to change how we interact with our TVs normally now? We're kind of, we just pop down. And then... We were at um, a G the Jay-Z concert. My wife and I went to the Jay-Z Justin Timberlake concert and everybody had their phones out. And this one guy in front of me, well, in front of my wife, had this giant Android phone. I mean, it looked like he was holding a laptop and he kept recording it like crappy video of it the whole time. And he was blocking my wife's view the whole time. And I'm thinking, okay, well, I got to design for that guy's phone. Like, that's a phone, right? And so is that mobile? It's probably as big as my laptop, you know? And so <laughs> it's getting a bit ridiculous. Yeah, it's like how um, Louis C.K. says, like, hey, you know, you know, watch your kid in HD, you know, at a school play, but you're holding your phone's blocking yourself. If you just <laughs> moved it, you know, you would see your kid in HD in 3D too, right? So. Yeah, why couldn't the guy just, I guess a whole other discussion, why couldn't the guy just watch the concert? But like, yeah, you get people taking pictures with their iPads, right? So man, there's just, yeah, there's there's gonna be a whole lot to think of in the next couple of years. Yeah, interesting. All right, and so just to go back on responsive a little bit, so if I'm understanding this right, it's basically kind of like a Band-Aid solution, right, to the mobile experience right now. Is, is that an accurate way to say it or? The the premise of responsive design is that it is it is resolution agnostic, right? So it doesn't care what resolution it is, but yet most of responsive design does actually care, right? So they'll say, this is how it looks at 520 pixels wide. This is how it looks at, and they usually take it from about 11, 1100 to 1200 pixels wide down to 320 usually is the minimum that it'll go, right? So if, but see, that's where it starts to fail because 
Yeah, responsive design goes the whole way down to mobile, right, 320. Well, what happens when Apple comes out with this iWatch thing and the resolution is like 40 by 1,000, right? <laughs> so what are you going to do? <laughs> so you're going to fit this e-commerce store in a 40 pixel wide by 1,000 pixels tall experience, right? So it really now, I mean, there's, it's, there's even more challenges that become involved in that. So do you try to jam a desktop experience that then as you shrink it down to 40 pixels wide can fit everything? I don't know, right? Um, and it really depends on the project. But you can see the challenges that we face going forward and what's going to happen. Yeah, because as soon as you have different screen sizes, it becomes a whole wildcard thing too, where if you were made for certain resolutions, like your, your Achilles healed by these different screen sizes, right? So. If you have someone who's like, totally gung-ho responsive and they will not give in to anything. I'll say, okay, well, does your site go down to 100 pixels wide? Well, if they even mention a number, so if you look in their code, if there is even a mention of pixels or anything, now if there's percentages, that's another thing, right? So if they're handling percentages, that can work. But if someone says, well, this goes down to 320 or whatever, then they're in trouble. And that's why I'll be honest, like on Goodsy, we have, we're, we're, on that path as well. We haven't totally nailed it. No one has yet. This problem, this whole responsive problem becomes even a more, becomes even a bigger issue when you're talking about user customized stuff, because now you're building an experience for then the end user to also have to make decisions on responsive. Yeah, it's it's a big, it's a big challenge. Um, and it's something that we're going to be kind of looking at and figuring out what the best the best way to, to have the store owners do it. Yeah, but on the other hand, you can't really say, hey, I'm going to design a native site for each type of screen, right? I mean, it's not practical to do that either. Yeah, it's, it's almost like there is nothing practical at this point. It really depends on your resources. Also, you can look at your market and your traffic, right? If you have 95% of your traffic coming from an iPhone, well, then look at that, right? And make a decision based on that. If 95% is on Android, then make that decision. But ultimately, a decision has to be made. I don't believe um, there is one kind of one-size-fits-all solution right now. Yeah, I mean, unless we all had standard screen sizes that did not deviate, but certainly that's not the case with, you know, like Asus, Acer making these crazy half-tablet laptops and then your iPhones and your Samsungs and all these different screen sizes too, right? So Yeah, and I think my conclusion with responsive is it is the it definitely is the right way to go right now and I think things are going to change and whatever whether it's called responsive or whatever in the future it, it the premise is right that uh, we should be thinking in terms of screen sizes and not um, names like mobile or tablet but as far as the way they're executing it, it could probably change down the road, right? It's going to change, yeah. It's going to change and, and yeah. You know, just to tie it into Goodsy a little bit, you know, what percentage are you guys seeing, you know, people are getting sales on mobile or I guess tablets, phones, that kind of thing? The To the actual stores, um, it's very high. There's a lot of transactions mobile-wise. Um, to the actual platform where we want to put our resources. So if someone goes to goodsy.com, signs up, and expects to build a store on their mobile phone, it's not gonna ha right. It's not gonna happen because that's not where we want to put our resources. But if someone goes to one of our storefronts, then yes, the the experience has been designed. We've we've definitely had a focus on mobile, um, so that someone could go in, purchase a product, and and buy it right through there. Someone want to make wants to make their store. Uh, kind of buying experience more seamless, then they can add a payment processor like Braintree or Authorize.net, um, so that it uh, they can control the checkout experience as well. If they use PayPal, then it's really up to PayPal's at that point after you check out. I see. And so just to give people an idea of mobile sales, like you know, out of 100%, are we looking at like 10% of stores are getting it off mobile? Or like some of them are seeing 20? Or like is there like a range you can provide? So if you look at across the board, so for the last 30 days, 526,000 views on desktop and 164,000 on mobile, right? And 62,000 on tablet. So it's not half, but it's getting up there and it's growing. So if we're saying like, I guess maybe like it's 25%, I guess. Yeah, 25 per 30, so. yeah. And growing a couple percentage points, yeah, per, per month. Yeah. And then it, each store has like a, what, a standard 2% conversion rate, 3% you can get. Okay, I see that. Gotcha. I'll work backwards with the numbers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so no, those aren't purchases. Those are just visits, right? So. But I guess, you know, I guess the standard store has like a, what, 2% conversion. So if we just assume that for mobile, just for fun. And yeah. 
I guess. Well, that's and that's and that's the other thing. It's really they customize their mobile experience, right? So it's really up to them on how they want to kind of market it. Um, and it's funny. I'm looking here at even devices. Apple iPhone ninety nine thousand, iPad fifty four thousand, and then it drops the whole way down to seven thousand, where they get into like the Samsung Galaxies and that. Eighty ninety percent of people on your customers' mobile stores are basically on Apple. Yeah, either iPhone or iPad. Which is crazy. Like people say they're slowing down, but they're still dominating a lot of the traffic. So yeah, I mean, it, it just means that a lot of people are either buying these Samsung gadgets and just not using it, or well, that's the interesting thing about Samsung is there's Apple iPhone. So there's ten here of the devices, right? So iPhone, iPad, iPod, right? Then the the next uh, the next six are all Samsung devices, all galaxies. Yeah, I mean, who knows? I mean, it just makes mobile kind of a next frontier to study as it's still developed because I think no one's really figured it out yet. Like, this is how it is, this is the standard, and everything's still kind of up in the air, too. So, you can get a bit intimidated and think, wow, things used to be so easy when we all, all we had to worry about is if it didn't work in IE, right? Yeah, <laughs> now, yeah. <laughs> so it is not easy, um, but. You know, it has to be done. You don't, you don't, if the market demands it, you don't have a choice. Yeah, I mean, you have not just IE, you have all these screen sizes that might not even exist yet, which makes it kind of scary, right? Yeah. Yeah, awesome. All right, and so just to wrap things a little bit, so, you know, if we go back to Goodsy a little bit, who is kind of Goodsy ideal for in terms of, like, an e-commerce owner that's looking for a platform? I would say the small the small to medium-sized business. We always say, like, the small home office kind of businesses are perfect for, for Goodsy. You know, we've built a platform that someone can grow from a small business to to a medium-sized couple million dollars a year in revenue uh, business. And then sort of as they get into the, you know, 10s, 20s, 30s, hundreds of millions that, that they'd probably move on to either probably at that point, they'd get a custom solution built. Gotcha. Understood. Okay. And so listeners, you guys can find out more about Goodsy at uh, G-O-O-D-S-I-E.com. And so, Jack, for people who want to get in touch with you, uh, how can they find you? Uh, they can email me at jack at goodsy.com or, uh, yeah, or my personal site is jackzerby.com. Awesome. Very cool, Jack. Well, I guess we'll keep in touch and I'll keep you posted when this goes live. To get more information about running an online store, visit our website at buildmyonlinestore.com. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Build My Online Store podcast.